0: face the difficulties of today and tomorrow. I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. This nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident.
1: Hello, and welcome to Episode 3 of the Policy Dialogue Series with alumni, staff, faculty, and students from the University of Maryland School of Public Policy. The views expressed do not represent official positions of the school or alumni network. Our goal is to discuss policy solutions that can address and solve the current local, national, and international challenges we face. We are recording this on October tenth, 2020. My name is Evan Papp, and I graduated with the class of 2011 the focus on international security economic policy. I'm currently the executive producer of Empathy Media Lab, which is focusing on labor, political economy, art and culture. Joining me today is fellow alumni, Sharice Davis. How are you doing? I'm
0: doing well. Um, I'm Cherise Davis. I graduated from the School of Public Policy in December 2016. I did a dual degree program with my master's in public policy and my master's in business administration. While at the School of Poli- Public Policy, I focused on social policy.
1: Great, great. And then what, what are you doing today? Uh, what, what type of work are you focusing on these days?
0: Um, So I'm currently a program manager at a nonprofit where
1: we work to bridge the racial
0: wealth divide and um, create solutions for economic mobility and financial stability
1: for communities of color. Yeah, Awesome. And that's going to be the topic we'll be discussing today is going to be on racial inequality and the wealth gap. So citing a Hill article from September 24th, it's titled Racial Gaps Cost the Economy $16 Trillion. And the article was commissioned by Citigroup and it stated the study calculated the economic gains the country would have experienced if it had closed racial gaps in wages, education, access to housing credit and lending to entrepreneurs. By far the equitable lending gap was the largest contributor calculated at 13 trillion. This could have been used for investments in labor, technology, capital equipment and structures and 6.1 million jobs might have been created per year, the report said. So Cherise, since uh, this is one of the things that you're focusing on, can you talk a bit about the problem of the wealth gap, and racial inequality, and uh, how you're pro- uh, approaching this problem um, in your work at day-to-day and maybe discuss some uh, solutions that you're seeing? Sure,
0: um, so I think it's interesting that you cite that. One of the things that I feel like is important in working towards closing the ra- racial wealth gap is to ground all of the work that you're doing in data. Um, So it's important to note that when we talk about the racial wealth gap, we know that Black households own 10 cents of wealth for every dollar owned by white families. And for Latinx households, that's 12 cents of wealth for every dollar held by white households. And so we have to look at the things that are contributing to the racial wealth gap. And so one of the things you mentioned was the lending gap that is um, limiting the, the success and the opportunity for black and latinx and minority-owned businesses but then we also have to look at like things like the racial wage gap um so communities of color are earning incomes that are anywhere from 35 to 45 percent lower than their white peers for the same or equal amounts of work um and I think that often people kind of attribute those things to deficits in communities of color without recognizing that these are like systemic issues that contribute to all of the inequality that we're seeing.
1: Yeah, that's so true. And the, this Citigroup report, uh, you know, focused on some solutions and mm-hmm. the solutions they offer as supporting diversity and inclusion initiatives from the top. Right. Uh, Recruit more black board members on corporate boards, engage in corporate social responsibility, develop metrics to analyze, report and react to this problem, and dismantle structural barriers to hiring black talent. But do you think this is enough?
0: Um, I definitely think that that's a start. One of the challenges that I see with diversity and inclusion in a lot of um, organizations is that they put these people in positions to kind of fill quotas, but they don't necessarily give them power to do things. Um, Or they put people in decision-making positions, um, but the actual authority that they have to recreate the systems and structures that they have internally that are leading to those inequities is non-existent and so one of the things that people of color see as they rise up in these um organizations and get these positions of power is that there are systems in place that kind of prevent them from investing in black and latinx communities There are just different things that obstacles and barriers kind of at every turn and they don't necessarily have the power to knock those down they may call them out but the organization itself is not ready to do that internal work of fixing all of the challenges and issues and so i say that that's a start because it doesn't really help to put people in positions if it's kind of just like a like not necessarily a facade but kind of just like to seem amenable, to seem like we do have Black people on our board, but when it comes to actually trying to challenge things that that create barriers for Black people, we're not actually addressing those, or we don't give them the power to implement creative solutions or be innovative in ways that would facilitate more um, people of color in our organization, or that would facilitate elevation for people of color once they kind of get in the door.
1: Yeah, that's that's really helpful the, what you mentioned about actually empowering these workers who do come in the door mm-hmm. and then the actually addressing some of the the more structural issues i think i um one of my greatest critiques uh in our current uh government in our country is for me is looking at finance and looking at the banks and the largest right. banks reside on wall street and I appreciate the effort of the Citigroup employees who produced this report, but I also want to just mention that Citibank is one of the most socialized banks on Wall Street. Right. And according to Wall Street on Parade article from July 24th, 2020, during the 2008 financial crisis, the Federal Reserve funneled $2.5 trillion to Citigroup from December 2007 through the middle of July 2010. And tally it all up, it was the largest bank bailout in global banking history. I also want to cite this October 1st article from 2020 by Philip Matura, who is director of the Corporate Research Project, as they were collecting a new category of data for violation tracker of class action lawsuits brought against financial services corporations engaging in discriminatory practices against their customers, quote, at a time when numerous large corporations have been expressing support for the Black Lives Matter movement. It is important not to forget that big businesses played a role in perpetuating systemic racism and widening the racial wealth gap. He goes on to say that they, his organization has identified a total of 30 cases in which banks, insurance carriers, and consumer finance companies paid a total of $4 million in settlements over the past two decades to resolve allegations that they charged higher premiums or interest rates to minority customers. Just looking at some economic policies that may be able to help address this racial inequality and the wealth gap. Uh, Cherise, do you want to begin uh, to, to just kind of offer some general solutions as, as you may see it?
0: Sure. Um, so one of the things that I mentioned earlier that I think is key in supporting closing the racial wealth gap is the ability to be innovative and to kind of think, not necessarily of things that have not been done before, but think of ways that we can um, inject wealth and support into communities from various aspects and various like areas. So one of the things that I think would be like supportive, not just of communities of color, but just in general, especially considering that we're dealing with a pandemic, there are a lot of people who have lost their jobs or lost income. As a result of the pandemic and the support that we're seeing from the federal government has been a bit limited um as we all know like americans got one um stimulus check and we've been kind of dealing with this pandemic since march Um, There are people who have lost unemployment benefits who are kind of like now have fallen off that income cliff because the unemployment benefits have dropped down such a significant level. So seeing things like suspended rent and mortgage payments at this time would be helpful, not just for communities of color, but for all Americans. Um, But I feel like specifically, um, in communities of color where they're, we're seeing most of the economic hardships and most of the economic impact being suffered, they would definitely benefit from something like that. Also looking at things like children's savings accounts, children's tax credits to increase, um, refunds for low income communities, um, mandatory kind of like federal jobs guarantees, increasing things like the minimum wage. I think like, we need to be very specific about creating policies that target the communities that are most economically burdened and most economically impacted. I think that we can't necessarily look at it from a race blind perspective and say like this will stimulate the economy because we we've seen that the trickle down effect does not work. Yeah. Um, so I just think the policy solutions has to be focused on financial stability. Um, as opposed to like longer term solutions and benefits.
1: Yeah, some like, initi- like uh, immediate injections uh, right. that go into some of these areas. Right From my, from my perspective too, I, I always like to cite in the 1950s, we had a very progressive tax rate and a lot of people cite the 1950s as the golden age of US uh, economic uh, supremacy. And at that time, there was a progressive income tax of almost 90%. I think some things with uh, a billionaire wealth tax uh, reinstituting reinst- a larger estate tax for the you know, less than 30,000 families that actually would have to pay for it, uh, and a well-funded IRS targeting um, that, that's actually able to ensure that everyone is paying their fair share of taxes. Right. And uh, as we look to the future, uh, where do you see some opportunities to help uh, help engage with uh, the the systemic changes and and influence the levels of power?
0: Um, I definitely see opportunity. I feel like as cliche as it sounds, um, in the upcoming election, kind of seeing some administrative changes and people that kind of actually care about building up wealth and building financial uh, stability and security for low and middle income households and Americans Um, but like I said I think we just need to kind of listen to the people that are most impacted I think that we can't necessarily generalize and feel like we can create solutions that for problems that we are not experiencing. Um, We need to go into these communities and kind of listen to what it is that they're saying that they are having challenges with or what they feel like solutions are. Um, But I think that those people also need to be at the table with the decision makers when these solutions are being designed and implemented.
1: Dear friends, this is Evan Papp from Empathy Media Lab's podcast on labor, political economy, arts and culture. Based within the Washington, D.C. beltway, you can find us at EmpathyMediaLab.com. We are a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, which is broadcasting working people's voices 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Check out our show and all the shows elevating the voice of working people throughout the world at LaborRadioNet.org. And remember, union solidarity forever.